Uh, all right, well, welcome back, everybody. So we'll start by, by first and foremost thanking uh, Jonathan and Tamar Miller. Thank you so much for sponsoring this series in, in memory of Ted and Pauline Miller. Zichronam Livracha. Thank you so much. And, and thank you as well to all of the, the many sponsors, the sponsors for the month, Nate Malka and Avi Sternberg, in honor of this close of living in Eretz Yisrael and for their anniversary. And uh, also Lilui Nishmas, Nachum Shimon ben Rabbi Yitzchak Aryeh by his children and grandchildren. And uh, of course, the Feigenbaum family, Lilui Nishmas, Chaim Yisachar ben Yechiel, Zedel Zov, Zedel Dov, Zichronu Levracha, Chaim Feigenbaum, Neshama Shavon Aliyah, Aaron's brother. And uh, really, he was a very, very special, special, special guy. Um, and also, thank you to our weekly sponsors, uh, Shira and Aragon Tavnik, who sponsored a memory of Shira's grandfather, David Yosef Ben Kolonimus. Zichrona Levracha, um, and by Ivan Moshe Kesselman for the Rufu Shlema of Eli Burko, Eliezer Pinchas Ben Devora Zissel, uh, anonymously, anonymously in the merit of Rufu Shlema of Binyamin Yoshua Ben Achama Grina, uh, and by Keaton Sandy Cantor in honor of her children, Josh and Jen Cantor, Adarat Noam, Talia, and Yakir, and finally the, uh, I guess the daily sponsors, uh, Sarah and Bitzal Daniel for Yoshua and Hatzlacha, and Miriam and Avram Deutsch, in memory of Avram's father, Mordechai ben Avram, Abba, Vesara, Zichrona, Levracha. Okay. So, over the coming weeks, and, and, and even in future uh, series, we'll be endlessly talking about the complicated relationship of David and Shaul, of David and Yonatan, for about 15 chapters, almost 15 chapters, right? Until the death of Shaul and Yonatan, we learn endlessly about this drama. It is really amazing how much time and, and how much space is dedicated to the drama between these people. So why does the Navi spend so much time on this? So the answer, I believe, as we always say, um, is because we're not simply learning stories. Right? We are learning a guidebook for our time. And when I say our time, it's true for all time, right? You can learn from this drama of, Shaul and David and all of the other family members. For, you can learn about from them for all generations, for how, family systems therapy, right? I guess to pretend like I'm my wife, the psychologist, right? To use those kinds of words. Families are screwed up, right? Families are crazy, right? I think Rabbi Nachman said that uh, families are like the UN. You know, you have enemies, you have friends, you have frenemies. You know, you've got like, he referred, he actually compared it, he didn't say the UN, but he compared it to nations, Right, that, that it's very complicated with families. So that's true for all time. But I think that it's even more true for our time because we are now back in our land in a setting that is far more similar to what David and Shaul were dealing with than, than, than what we've dealt with in the past for, for almost for 2,000 years. So it's, it's that much more relevant. Um, the civil strife in Israel today, I think probably most of us would agree, it's not really about judicial reform, right? I mean, most people can't really explain it very well, right? It's really about the secular community in Israel losing the future of Israel to religious people, um, right? I guess it would be to us, to Haredim, to Sephardim, you know, religious in one way or another. Uh, and they know and they see before their eyes that the future of Israel will not be the Israel of their parents and grandparents, and, and that's not easy, right? They're hurt and they're afraid, right? And when you think about that in the context of Shaul, right, who many explain, and certainly Rabbi, Rabbi Pinchas Polanski, who I, I turn to all the time, his understanding of this era that we're in, right? He says Shaul really represents the, the secular community. It's the first stage of redemption, right? You know, and Shaul, just like the, the people today, was, inc- was very hurt and very pained and very stressed and very anxious, and we should understand that. Um, and I think that the reason that we're given such a detailed and complex description of this story of David and Shaul is because our response today has to be complex. It's not simple. Um, when we battle our enemies, the people who want to kill us, the answers are much simpler. Now, to actually live those answers, to put them into practice, is very complicated. But what we should do to them is pretty simple. right? If you, if, if you look at Shmuel Bet, Parakhet, we're nowhere near that yet. But if you look there, all of David's battles, they're basically captured, almost all of them, captured in one chapter, 
right? You get the whole battle with Moab in one pasuk. Right? It's not that complicated when it comes to our external enemies. They're, right? They're, it's complicated in practice for us for a lot of reasons, but what we're supposed to do is not that hard. But when it comes with, you know, to our own family, to our own people, it is not easy at all. Um, and it, it's very messy and very painful, right? Our family in Tel Aviv, right? How do we handle that? Right? It's very complex. Somebody who's an enemy, right? You can write them off or you can try to figure out how to deal with them with your own brother, your own sister. You're going to see them at Thanksgiving, right? That's always what we said, right? You're going to see them in here with all the Yom Tovim. You see them that much more, right? It, it's not so simple. Right? We've, we, we need to... Right? We need to understand better how to handle these situations. Um, and perhaps this is why, as we talked about last week, one of the reasons why Shmuel was commanded to anoint David so early and to cause all of these problems in the first place. Right? Why did it have to be? It could have been so much simpler. Because, perhaps because Hashem wanted us to learn from David and Shaul and the rest of the family in terms of how to handle these very difficult and painful questions. Right? Meaning the questions that we're grappling with now were really the questions that David had to grapple with in his own time. Right? How do we stay strong and continue in our path, stand up for what we believe in, but at the same time prevent civil strife, God forbid, civil war? Right? How do we show sensitivity and respect to people we disagree with, which is all very nice, right? All those talks about achdos, right? It's always, everything's always about achdos, right? Oh, love your, love your brother. But what if they're persecuting you, that's not so simple, Right? Like, I'm tired of these, like, boring Achdos talks. Can I say that? Is that okay? Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm tired of it already. I believe in it. Don't get me wrong. I believe in it. But if some, at a certain point, if all you talk about is Achdos and you don't really get into the, to the, the, the difficulty of it and the detail of it, it means you have nothing else to say, right? It means you don't really have opinions or you're afraid to say your opinions and you talk about Achdos. No, Achdos is a complicated thing because if, if the other person's persecuting you, as Shaul does to David, how do you, how do you handle that? Right? Do you have to let them, other people step all over you? Right? On the one hand, no. On the other hand, right, we, can't, we can't get into battle with, with, with our brothers. Or we can't do that. So how do we handle that? Right? Is it, can we transition to a new stage of Jewish history without, without it falling apart all around us? Right? Right, so these are very hard questions. And I think, I'm not saying that I, I certainly don't have all the answers to this at all, just by learning some chapters in, in, in Sefer Shmuel. But I think... You know, collective insight, and, I, and this is why I wanted to start with that intro, because as we're learning these things, we should be thinking this way. This, this is why we learn this Torah, right? Because we're not learning this for halacha, right? We know why we learn Gemara and halacha. We need to know what to do as Jews, right? on a very practical, basic level. You learn Penine halacha, every Jew needs to learn Penine halacha. You have to know what to do. Why are we learning all these stories? Right? For the same reason, we need to know what to do, not halachically, but, but in a way that's perhaps much more, much more difficult. difficult. Um, now, before we even begin Parak Yudchet, which is where we left off, we have to think about the story that we ended off with, which was David and Goliath, right? And, and, and there's a burning question there that nobody brought up in, in those two classes that we dedicated to this, because somebody was missing from the story of David and Goliath, and, and no, one, no one thought to mention him. Yonatan, Yonatan. Where was Yonatan? Our Yonatan is one of the most fascinating characters, right? He's so interesting, right? He's such an amazing, amazing man, and you just want, like, where, where was he? Where, like, he just disappeared, right? Let's remember, just take a moment to remember Yonatan. Number one, the Ish Yisrael ra'u ki tsarlo ki nigas ha'am, right? So when the, when the people saw that they were in trouble, the, the, the plishtim were much stronger than them. What do they do? They start, they run away. They hide in caves. Can you imagine? Running around, they're hiding in pits and caves and rocks and, and thickets. That's where all the Jewish soldiers were, right? Lo Aleinu, right? Terrifying. What does Yonatan do? Oh, there's only like 150,000 plishtim, so I'm going to take my, you know, my nosei kalim, the guy who holds my stuff, and I'm going to go and fight the plishtim myself, you know? It's unbelievable, right? It, it, if it didn't happen, it would be impossible to imagine. Who would ever think such a thing? It's a suicide mission. Why would he do such a thing? We know how it ended, right? We, we learned about this. But the gvura that he had, the strength that he had, right, was unbelievable, right? He goes up with his arm, with his nosei kalim to fight by himself. So if that's the case, if he was willing to do that then, now here the plishtim are back, the same plishtim. Okay, so this time they have a giant who's 10 feet tall, covered with 2,000 pounds of armor. All right, but it's not like this would be any less of a suicide mission than the first one. Where is Yonatan? For 40 days and for 40 nights. 
Goliath is there yelling and screaming during the time of Kriyashma, right? And, and ble- right, blasphemy, right? Desecrating the name of Hashem. Where's Yonatan? What happened? He's not that old. This whole thing happened over the course of two years, the whole story of Yonatan and Shaul. It's the same guy. So what happened? How could that be? So the Navi doesn't give an answer. And the truth is, I looked through a lot of commentaries. I couldn't find anything. Um, so I want to suggest something, you know, on my own, which I, I, think there's, I think there's truth here, right? We're left with something very basic, which is, why did David fight Goliath? How could he stand up? Because what happened? The Ruach Hashem, that Ruach of Gvura, Ravatitzlach Ruach Hashem el David, from that day on, from the day that he was anointed, there was a certain ruach that Shmuel instilled in him that came from Hashem. And without that, how could you possibly fight Goliath? And Yonatan clearly didn't have it. Otherwise, he would have gone and, and done the same. So wh- why does David get it and not Yonatan? Like, wh- what's going on here? Right? And imagine how Yonatan must have felt. And that's what we have to do, especially these chapters. In particular, these chapters have more going on beneath the surface when it comes to emotions and, I mean, oh my goodness, this is like a psychologist's dream, right? You can write a book of psychology on just the next few chapters of, of Shaul, Yonatan, David, Michal. Oh my goodness. I mean, these, the next few chapters in particular. There's so much that's happening here beneath the surface. How did Yonatan feel for those 40 days? He's standing next to his father because he was the number two. He was there with his dad, always. So Goliath is yelling and screaming, and I'm sure everybody's looking at Yonatan. You saved us the last time. Where are you this time? Right? Especially this time, he wasn't all alone, right? The, the army was better trained. Also, Goliath said, whoever kills him will be slaves to you, but if I kill you, then you'll all be slaves. So it's not just him. He's, if he fails, the entire people are lost. Right. So this is the moment of truth, right? They need him desperately, and he doesn't step forward, right? Now, now why, right? Meaning, I'm sure every morning he woke up thinking to himself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight this uncircumcised, you know, miserable Russia, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go kill this guy. And then when the moment came, he didn't have it. He didn't have the strength, right? I mean, we've all probably had those moments, right, where you're like, I should do this, but I'm not stepping forward, right? Um, so... His strength escaped him. Right? I can only imagine what, what he was going through. But well, we, you know, looking back, right, he didn't have the he didn't have the ruach Hashem that David Hamelech had. Right? So, but maybe maybe he didn't want to show up his father. Except that the last time he did. But he didn't show him up. He did. He did. It. He went his own way. In other words, he wasn't sitting right next to him, you know, and and everybody's looking and they're expecting Shaul to. It's, it's a good suggestion, except that we did talk about last time that if anybody should have stood up to Goliath, it would have been Shaul, right? And he was right, like begging for somebody to, he was like desperately waiting for somebody to come and step up. And if it's his own son, okay, he's younger than me. You know, that could have been, that would have brought him great pride. I mean, I would have, I don't know. I hear your point last, because you're right, the last time he does it without asking his father. But I'm not sure if that's because his father would have been ashamed that he did it instead of him, or because his father would have said, that's crazy. Why would you give up? Like, don't, don't do that. You're going to get killed. Right? I don't, you know, I, but I'm guessing here that, that the humiliation was there for Shaul also. And I'm sure his son wanted to remove that cherpa, right? That humiliation. So what's happening here? So if you look at number two and three here, this is a different story. Um, a story that, we'll, that we're coming to in the, in the next few months. The story of Pinchas. Right? What happens it's this whole terrible story of Cosby and Zimri. I mean, they're doing immoral acts, mamash in front of Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, it's crazy, right? So they do all this. In the site, it says, right? It says, In front of, the, in front of Moshe. So why doesn't, you know, what's going on? Moshe does nothing. And Pinchas comes and, and you know, he does what he does, right? So what does Rashi tell us? Moshe Rabbeinu, who stood up at the time of, right, at, at the time of the Cheta Egel against, you know, Shishim Ribo, right? There's a whole, like, rebellion going on. He says, Mila Hashem and he goes and he stops it, right? He, now, one guy, he's so afraid? What's going on? Kan Rafu Yadav, Ela Kadeshi Yavo Pinchas Vitol Tara Uilo. Rather, Hashem made Moshe Rabbeinu lose his strength 
and not be able to do anything or say anything. Maybe he wanted to, but he just couldn't, right? In order to make room so that Pinchas should be able to have his moment. Fascinating, right? Because what do we find here? Is this free will? I don't know. This is sort of a side point, but I was fascinated by this the more I thought about it. And it reminded me of, a, of, a, of another, of a teaching from the Ramchal, which I think is so foundational. So just, it's just worth learning it together. Because what we find here is that, is that there's, there's sort of a turn away from free will, right? Hashem is guiding events, right? On the one hand, yes, of course we have free will, but on the other hand, maybe in, in some cases we don't. How does this fit together? So says the Ramchal. He says, Klalo shel davar. There's a klal, very important rule. This is uh, something that most people don't learn. I think most people don't read Das Tfunos. It's not Mesilas Yasharim. That people learn. But uh, Das Tfunos or Dat Tfunot is, uh, is available from Feldheim in Hebrew English. So just putting it out there. That's where I got the translation from. It's fascinating, really, about how Shem runs the world. It's fascinating. So he says there are two drachim. There are two ways that Hashem runs the world. Derach haschar. Va'onish, right? One way is onish, reward and punishment, which means free will, right? Because if you choose the right thing, you get rewarded. Choose the wrong thing, you get punished. <coughs> but there's also a derech hamazel, where certain things are out of our hands, right? We say mazel, right? You should have good mazel. We don't mean that you should choose well. We mean that Hashem should give you good mazel, whatever that, right? Without getting into the depths of that, right? And, there, and the Gemara talks about how certain things are not really in our hands. Bunny, chaye, mizone, the Gemara says, how many children you have, how long you live, you know, how wealthy you are, pretty big things, right, in life are not really up to you. Kind of a fascinating, right, there's the Gemaras and Gemaras on this, it's a really, really interesting question. What is in our hands and what's not? Ah, so another good question, right? I don't know, how do we fit them together? So I think what we're going to find right now from the Ramchal is something of an answer. Right? It could be that sometimes it's in your hands and sometimes it's not. So it says, mm-hmm. Hashem uses these two ways of running the world, meaning reward and punishment based upon your human action and also what God wants, which I, which is, I think is what we'll, we'll call mazel, what God wants to happen. So, and he says that in the Midrash of Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai, there's a mimer there in the, in the Zohar that says, it's very, very deep, but on a very simple level, it's very strange. What does the, the, the Tikkun Zohar say? At the time when God removes himself from the throne of judgment and from the throne of mercy, there is no reward and no punishment. So there are going to be times when there's no reward and no punishment? What does that mean? It seems, on a very simple level, reading the Zohar, that what do you mean? There's no reward and punishment? That the whole of Judaism goes, you know, goes uh, out the window the moment you say there's no reward and punishment. What does it really mean, he says? That there are times when Hashem does not run the world by reward and punishment. Right? But rather by through his own will. Thing, right? Not depends upon our actions. As we explained, What this means is that there are certain things God needs to happen in the world. Now, if we choose the right things or we choose in the right way, and maybe those things will happen through reward and punishment with the way God wants it to. But let's say we start, you know, too many of us start choosing the wrong way and the arc of history starts going like this, right? Off the path that God wants. And it's not going to bring us ultimately to the final destination that God wants us to come to. Well, all of a sudden, God can shift gears, right? And bring it back through mazel, right? And, and have it come to, you know, in the direction that it has to go. And somehow these two uh, ways of running their world, they coexist with one another. Only God could make the two of those coexist, right? But it is kind of a fascinating way to think about the world. Right? That there are some things that are in our hands. And, and when some things happen to us, we could, we don't, we're not really sure. Right? Is it scharva onish? Did I, is this a punishment? Right? Did I fall off my bike and break my arm because I did something wrong? Right? Or is this mazel? That God needs this to happen for me in my life? And certainly on a national scale, kind of hard to know, right? So not here. I didn't bring that piece. But the Ramchal does say elsewhere that that's one of the great 
struggles of life. And that itself is Yisurin. That itself is one of the sufferings of life, is that we don't know, is God, is this because of my actions, or is this because of mazel? The very fact that we don't know is itself a, a suffering, right? Because we have anxiety from that. I think we've all probably had this. We may not have put it in these words exactly. We've all probably had this, right? Am I having this right now because I said Lashon Hara or something, right? Or, or is this happening to me now simply because I, I didn't do anything wrong to deserve this, but because Hashem needs this to happen in my life. So that's a hard thing to, to grapple with, which we all do. So he talks about that elsewhere, right? So he says, so he says that, and then he goes on here and he says, uh, Certainly, everything we do has impact in the next world, right? There's always, right, always free will, and there's, you know, and there's always going to be reward and punishment, whether it shows up in this world or the next, right? So you have people here in this world who are great tzaddikim, who live through hell. So where's the, where's the reward? He says it'll all be even now. That's not the question on a personal level in Olam Haba. The question is, is what's happening here in Hashem's destiny or a plan for Olam Hazet. That's where it doesn't always play out. And he says, in, right, and for the bad people, right, they'll get their, their due and so on. So what we learn is that in the, year, in the days before <coughs> Mashiach comes, these generations leading into the final Mashiach, now, we shouldn't be, you know, wonder why, you know, why they're tzaddikim, amazing people who go through terrible sufferings. We've been seeing that, you know, right now in our own town, our own, right? We don't have to go very far. We see it. And then we see, you know, in B'nai Adam Tzohakim V'lo Ne'anim, we people crying out, right? Like Chana cried out, but they're not being answered like Chana. So how does this happen? Right? All the other things that the rabbis talk about, right? so this in, you can go to Sota talks about it, how like, there's terrible chutzpah when it comes to the, the days before Mashiach. And if you go to Sanhedrin 97a, I think it's, that's where it is. I was just going over this with some of the boys in Lev HaTorah. Um, the list of crazy things that happen in the generations before Mashiach. So you can actually... I mean, I would say a large majority of them are happening in our time, which is kind of amazing. It's worth reading, right? So why is there all this upside down insanity? Because there are certain things that have to happen in the world that even with all the righteous people doing all the holy things that they're doing, it's not enough to bring those things about through the system of reward and punishment. And so Hashem needs to put mazel in to, to, in order to cause the final events to happen the way they're meant to happen. <clears throat> kind of wild, right? This is uh, fascinating stuff from the Ramchal. I have all the people in Tanakh. Does anyone that witness a lack of free will, it's Moshe against Paro. So it's like now the table's being turned. Against exactly. Him. Tables are turned on him. And, uh, and, here's the, and, and you could say the same about Yonatan, right? Meaning Hashem gave him a Ruach HaGvura. So, so yeah, he chose to go do what he did, but Hashem gave him that Ruach HaGvura, and now Hashem took it away. So... You know, it, it's, it's more complicated than, oh, it's just all free will, right? It, it, I think we're seeing here, and I, and I wonder, you know, for our time, that's something that we have to keep in mind as we observe the events of our time. We have to do everything that's in our power to advance redemption, right? That's, that's your classic religious Zionism 101, right? That's 101. I could send you all the sources, right? That, that we believe that we are meant to be partners with Hashem. That's how Hashem wants redemption to happen. And it's been proven true so far, Right? Very much, because had we not come back and, you know, the holy people, drain, all those holy pioneers draining the swamps and all the efforts since then, right, we wouldn't be here. So that's true. On the other hand, there's another element. There's a mazel element that we have to keep in mind with a lot of the things that are happening around us. And we don't know, right, what's, what's in our hands, what's not in our hands, I'm not sure. Right, so it's true personally, but it's also true nationally. I don't know easy answers, but I think that's something for us to be thinking about. Now, but if Hashem was the one behind the scenes, ensuring that Yonatan would not have the courage to fight Goliath. It was Yonatan, through his own free will, who afterwards befriended David, right? And one of the great, great acts of humility and holiness in all of Tanakh. Not, I mean, and not just Tanakh, in all of Jewish history, one would say, right? As the Gemara will see, talks about. This is one of the great, unbelievable moments, Right, Yonatan choosing instead to, to not, not to hate David, which would have been natural, because he David becomes the greatest threat to his future Malchus, right? Yonatan is meant to be the next king. 
by all the rules of the universe, right? He's the, he is the son, right? He's the oldest son. He's the chosen one of Shaul HaMelech. So his whole future is at stake. And yet he chooses to befriend David HaMelech instead of making him his enemy. Right, number five. Right, the soul of Yonatan was bound together with the soul of David. And he loved him as he loved his own soul. It can't be more explicit than this. Right, how, how he felt about David. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, now, Shaul makes David stay with him, which is kind of fascinating after this whole Goli- David and Goliath story. But back to, then back to Yonatan. So Yonatan makes, a, makes the covenant with David, not the other way around. Right? That's crazy. Right? He's the one who goes and, and befriends David. He's the active partner. And then it gets even wilder. He takes the me'il, the robe that was upon him, and he gives it to David, right? which is obviously very symbolic. Everything, his sword, his bow, his, his whole thing, you take it. Whatever I have, David, it's you. It belongs to you. What? The first time was with his father in Goliath. Uh, he gave them everything. Exactly. So this, there's a real, there's, there, right, the Navi here is comparing, is, is comparing those two. We'll come to it in a moment. Very mm-hmm. sharp. Very, very sharp. So, but just first of all, this language of nafshok, shurab, david, right, we find that with, when Yehuda is talking about Yaakov and Binyamin, that they're, you can't keep Binyamin here because it'll, it, it'll kill Yaakov. Their, their souls are bound together. And, and the, an uncle is there, says, right, Yaakov, loved Binyamin as much as he loved himself, would have happily died to save Binyamin. It's the same thing here, right? That, that's what it means here with Yonatan as well. That's how he felt about, about David, which is, I know we all say, but I mean, come on. Who really? <laughs> that's, usually, that's like a, you know, we yearn maybe to, to be holy like that. But to feel that way about, about a non-family member, it's far greater than Yaakov and Binyamin. Okay, we know what that means. Okay, a child, right? A child is an extension of the self, but to say that about somebody who's, who's, who's not just you know, another person and who actually is a rival and a threat to you, to feel that way is something which is abnormal, right? It, it's, it's, uh, abnormal is the wrong word. It's, it's lofty. It's ethereal. It's incredible, right? Yonatan, we're talking about one of the great people who ever lived. You know, so w- why does he love him in this way, right? And why, and why are we told this now specifically? Right after David you know, walks around with Goliath's head, to all the cities of Israel, right? That's what we finished last time, <laughs> we finished the last series. Now we're told about, you know, Yonatan's great love for David. What is this all about? So if you think about what just happened, right? David bravely volunteers to put his life on the line, to take on this ogre of a man, and to restore the honor of the people of Israel, <coughs> and, of co- and also the honor of Shaul HaMelech, the king. And incredibly, he succeeds. And what was his reward? Sorry? Marriage. Well, we'll get to marriage, but the truth is he's treated like garbage. I mean, outside of the marriage question, as we'll see. Um, you know, like, who is this guy? That's, that's how it starts at the end of the last parak. And then we find that Shaul will throw a spear at him and try to kill him multiple times, right? David is almost, almost immediately becomes like public enemy number one to the king. After he saves the king and the king's honor and reputation, I mean, it, it, it's actually quite disgusting, right? But not to the soldiers and not to everyone else. Everyone else loved him. Mm. Yeah, so we'll come to that. But I mean, like, but with the king, the man who matters most, right? It's insane. But haven't we seen that story before? Think back to Yonatan. He goes by himself, essentially, to take on the entire Plishti army. And miraculously, he succeeds. He saves the Jewish people. And then what happens? Because he didn't hear his father say that no one's allowed to eat, he takes a little drop of honey, right? Licks a little drop of honey, and then his father's like, well, you have to die. I mean, this is a repeat. Only he's, now he's watching it play out, not with him, but with David HaMelech, with David. Right? That's great, right? So he, he sees, he understands. If anybody could sympathize with David HaMelech, it is Yonatan. Because it's not rational. 
Oh, there's, yeah, yeah that, that's for sure. That's why this is such good fodder for psychology, right? Because human beings are not rational. And my wife sent me a whole hour and 20-minute podcast by Brene, Brene Brown or something. Right? You know this lady, right? She's got the, all the best-selling books. I got through like three minutes. So I was like, I got the point. I, I, don't need to, I don't need the rest. Human beings are not rational, right? I can take that away, right? We get mad at people sometimes because they're, doing, they're acting like, you know, angry at you, Right. But I'm saying we're all basically teenage girls. I'm saying, like my daughter. I'm saying we're all irrational. We're all emotional. No insult to girls, I'm saying. But you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm dealing with right now. I'm sure boys are the same. But I have three teenage girls, right? But, but ultimately, are we really any different? Right? We're all that way. Shaul HaMelech proves that men, right, are just like women, right? We're all the same. We may have a veneer of rationality as we get older and become adults, but we're not rational, right? Hashem's love for us is not rational. Exactly. Beautifully said. Yeah. There's a reason he made us this way. Huh? It's beautifully said. Um, you know, and at the same time, Yonatan, it's amazing. He possesses this extraordinary awareness and honesty. Right? When he, observing his father's rule over the past year, let's say, right, this whole story, he understands that something has, cha- has changed, that his father is not the man that he used to be. Now, Yonatan was not there when Shmuel said right, that God is going to rip away this kingdom from you. Nobody was there. You can't forget that. Right? We, other, nobody else knew about that moment. We know about it because it's in the Navi, right? It's like all of Shaul's dirty laundry is there for us to see. I think that's Shaul's penance for whatever he did wrong. He was a really great righteous tzaddik. His penance is that the, re, the Jewish people are reading about all of his mistakes for the rest of eternity, right? That's, a, that's the penance, I think, many times over for Shaul HaMelech. Um, but Yonatan didn't see that, and yet he must have sensed. We know he sensed. That, that my father is not meant to be the long-term king, and it's not meant to be me, that it's meant to be you, David, right? He's some, an incredible awareness and, and, on, and honesty. I mean, it's just amazing. And when he meets David, it doesn't matter that, that Yonatan is older, that Yonatan is the one who's with the status. We, you know, at this point, nobody cares about Yishai, David, whatever. They're not famous yet, right? Yonatan is the son of the king. It does, none of that matters because he recognized right, right away that this man... David is the one who's destined for greatness. Um, you know, and, and we cannot fall into the trap of reading Tanakh like kids. There's so much happening beneath the surface here. There's, there's so much drama here. Right? Did he really have to go so far as to, to give over his future to David? I mean, it's one thing to befriend him. It's another thing to give him your crown, essentially, to give him your clothing, to say that you're everything, and I'm, I'm just going to be your, I'll be your servant. You know I mean? That's crazy. Right? I mean, he must have had this incredible internal struggle. If you look at number eight, this is skipping ahead to when Shaul and Yonatan are killed in battle. And, and David says, Shaul v'yonatan havim v'neimim b'chayehem. They were lovely, pleasant in their lives. And even in their death, lo nifradu. They were not separated in death. Meaning they were, they were so tight, like peas in a pod. Like Forrest Gump and Jenny, right? Peas in a pod. Right? I'm not doing the southern, but you got it, Right? The, like they were so close. This is not like he, he wasn't close with his father that he hated his father or some, had some sort of bad relationship. They were so close. And yet, at the, and yet and, and to give, without telling his father to say that this is the guy, that I'm going to give it all over to him, right? He, there must have been an incredible internal struggle. On the one hand, he, he wants to be loyal to his father. And on the other hand, he wants to be loyal to who? To Hashem and to the people of Israel. And He's, and he's caught between the two. That is one of the great dramas of these next several chapters of, of Yonatan and his relationship with his father. And, and, and we see this is an ahava, as it says in Pirkei Avos. There's ava shehitluya badavar. There's love which is dependent upon something, right? You have, uh, we all have this, friends who like, you spend so much time with. The moment you move away or you're, you switch jobs and you're not with them at the job, you never talk to them again, right? Because it was, it was Tuluyabedavar. It depended on certain circumstances, right? But then there's a, a love that, that is not dependent upon, upon circumstances. And that says, right, the mission of Pirkeiavos is David, the love of David and Yonatan. Because there's nothing that, that benefited Yonatan from this. It was quite the opposite. Um, and and Rav Tzadok, this is amazing. He found this piece where he says, because I, I was, I was preparing, learning something else separately. Sometimes you just stumble across, you know, and you feel like, Hashem has smiled down upon you and pointed you, you know, to, a, to an amazing piece. 
So says Rav Tzadok Kakoim Milublin. He says, Varishon Minishmas Mashiach Ben Yosef. So this is very cool. The idea that Mashiach Ben Yosef is not one person, but that there are several people through the generations who are of the soul of Mashiach Ben Yosef. Famously, uh, Rav Kook in his 1904 non-Hespid Hespid for Herzl kind of implies without saying it exactly, directly that Herzl was of the soul of Mashiach Ben Yosef. Right, he died young, Mashiach Ben Yosef dies, right? There's a, a, so it's not just one person and it can continue through the generations. So who is the first of the, of the soul of Mashiach Ben Yosef who, that was revealed by Olam Azeh? Kamadumali, I believe, right? It seems to me, Shahaya Yonatan Ben Shaul. That he is the beginning of Mashiach Ben Yosef. Because the Gemara talks about how the Mashiach Ben Yosef will be killed. Um, and, and, he, and he didn't sin, right? There's no sin for which he was killed. There's another good example of not everything is harva onesh. Not everything is reward and punishment. And this is his love for David. We find Shamar me'ahavat nashim. Right, that, that it was like such a love that people, you know, it's like it wasn't a normal love. It was like a love of women, right? He came sod hayichud. What does it say that it's not? There's not some sort of like, you know, so, as a thousand ac- annoying academic scholars in some sort of like Christian university in Iowa, you know, would probably said, oh, he's, you know, they were, you know, he he was gay and and that's why he loved it. stupidity, right? That's not that's not what it's about. That's not at all what it means when they say when when the commentaries say that it's avat nashim. It's referring to, I mean, the love of a husband and wife is, uh, is the yichud, right? It's the unity. It's the oneness that, that, that really can't happen between two men or two women. It's a di- or between a father and a, and a son or a mother and a child, right? It's a different kind of relationship. Brothers and sisters, they're all love. But the yichud, the ultimate yichud is husband and wife, right? That's the most intense oneness. So when we say, that's what we're saying here, that this is like Yonatan at the very beginning of Jewish history, is giving us a taste, a flavor of what the final Mashiach will be, which is that Mashiach ben David and Mashiach ben Yosef will unite, right? The, 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 one of the most beautiful Haftorahs that we say all year long, that we read all year long in Parshas Vayigash, where it talks about, you know, the, the two coming together as one, right? I mean, it's really, really beautiful, right? And that's, of course, because that's that whole, it's a rough Parsha with all the, the struggle between the brothers, but there will come a day where we'll become one. And Yonatan is the first, right? The brothers themselves never really reached that sod ha'yichud, right? Yosef and his brothers didn't, but a descendant, right? Here we have, right? We say the descendant of Rachel, which is Yonatan, and descendant of Leah, which is David. They, at the very beginning of history, they show us that it's possible, right? And that this will, we'll get there again, God willing, one day, right? Such a beautiful, beautiful teaching here. That he's the beginning of Mashiach ben Yosef. Um, I don't know, I just, you can, that alone, you can just uh, go home with that and that's enough, right? You don't need anything else. I mean, just, just incredible. But there's more. Not to worry, there's a lot more, right? Number 11, right, what do we find, right? If you look carefully, actually, so look first, look at number five. Notice how Yonatan's name is spelled. Yehonatan, okay? Before this moment, says the, says the Radaka number 11, until now, there was, it was always Yonatan. Right? And there was only one moment where, where he said, let's go and fight those plishtim, right? when he had his moment of great strength, that he was called Yehonatan. But otherwise, it's always Yonatan. From now on, it's always Yehonatan. Right? Something fundamental has changed. This came up in my family, because my sister's son is Yehonatan. They, were, they wanted to name him Yonatan, because that, you know, to an American, you're like, Yehonatan? Right? But they went to the rabbi who said, no, you must call him Yehonatan. First of all, he goes, my name is Yehonatan. So, but the rabbi's name was Yehonatan also. Um, but you cannot, you cannot do Yehonatan. I mean, I don't know that everybody follows this, but, but you see why. Because this Yehonatan, it symbolizes a loftier status for Yehonatan. Right? Something has changed here. Something very beautiful has changed. Right? There's something awesome that's happening in this chapter. That extra Amazing, very good. Right, or like it's the Hashem Imo, right? The Hey, Hashem, right? Hashem, or it's one of the, it comes from Hashem's name, Hey, and without getting into all the depth, I'm sure there's many, many more layers, right? There's something profound that has happened here. We don't find people's names being changed like this all that often, right? It's not that, not so, many, so often in Tanakh, right? This is a big moment, like Avram to Avraham. This is a very big deal. Hashem Imo. 
Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's incredible. Just like that one time that he was called Yehonatan many chapters ago, a chapter Yud Gimel, I think, right, in number thir- in 13, where he was filled with the spirit of Hashem. But that didn't last, right? That didn't last. He went back to being regular Yonatan. But now, because of his choice, his free will to love David with awesome humility, Hashem said, that's it, I'm with you for the rest of your days. Through his own choice, right? Maybe that first time was not through his own choice. Hashem needed to save the Jewish people, and Yonatan was a holy man, so God gave him the strength. Now, because of his unbelievable humility and love, he's infused with the hay permanently for the rest of his days. It's just incredible, right? Just, just amazing. Um, you know, it, it's, it's and, and, and when you compare this, as we'll see, to how Shaul reacts and how Shaul treats David, it's really astounding, right? The choice, right? They go in radically opposite directions. These two children of Leah, of, of, of Rachel, I'm sorry. These two children of Rachel, right? Shaul could have been Mashiach ben Yosef, but he wasn't. It was Yonatan. And to point out the obvious, right? Yonatan comes from Natan. He's a giver. He's always been a giver. Um, but by this, in this moment, what does he do? If you go back up to number five, it, right? V'itpashet Yehonatan et Asher alav, right? So this is the point that you were mentioning, Matsir, right? That there's a clear connection between number five and number 12, which is number 12 is when, right? What happens there in that moment when after Shaul sins, Hashem, right, sends Shmuel to, and who, right, and to take away the Malchus from him. And what is, and, and, and Shaul like turns to grab the meal of Shmuel and it's torn away. So Sha, right, Shaul cannot let go of the Me'il. The Me'il here stands for, represents? Malchut. So he can't let go of, of, royal, of, of being king. And yet Yonatan, now Yehonatan, willingly gives over his Me'il to David. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just unbelievable. That's how you know that this is a, not a Stamba book, right? This, this book, it's incredible. Right? And, and I think these two approaches to handing over power to the person who is meant to lead, right, it's a big issue in our time. We're seeing this, as we mentioned before, on a national level here in Israel. Right? The religious group in Israel won an election, and, it's, and at least currently, the way it looks, the numbers-wise, they're going to, it's going to continue to grow, the difference. Right? But the, the group that has had power is having a hard time letting it go. Right? Not so simple. Right? Is it, and, and there's a choice. Will they be like Shaul? Will they be like Yonatan? Right? It's not, it's not so easy. Look, we find this in the secular world in a more crass way. We find this uh, Donald Trump didn't have such an easy time letting go either. Right? Uh, he's still not having, <laughs> certainly not, ha- if he'll ever have an easy time letting go. Um, but this is one of the great questions of our time. And also, it shows you, again, how contemporary this book is and these stories are. Right? The, you, know, how they hit, you just have to read a little bit more closely and not just skim through it, right? I mean, it's, it's really, really something. Um, right, and, and finally we read in number 13, right, this is later, skipping ahead, what Yonatan finally says explicitly. He says to David, Atatim loch al Yisrael, you will be king over Israel, and I will be your number two. And so many sources talk about this, so many commentators talk about that this is what it's meant to be in an ideal world. The king will be the descendant of David, right? Uh, the Malbim talks about this, right? But the number two will be from Ephraim, from Menashe, right? That we're meant to have a number two, right? You can't run, the, 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 Mashiach ben David can't run the world by himself, right? He's going to need a lot of help and he's not going to be good at everything, right? No human being is. Right? He's going to need the strengths of Rachel, the strength of Mashiach ben Yosef. And, and unfortunately, sadly, this never comes to, to be, Right, to actuality in Yonatan and David's life because Yonatan is killed. But ultimately, right, these words, God willing, will come true just through the descendant of Yonatan. Right? So, so it's really a Mashiach moment that's happening here with Yonatan and, and we can't miss it because whereas you know, other times Hashem stops and says, you know, Avraham, your name will now be Avraham. You can't miss it. Right? An angel says to Yaakov, you will now be Yisrael. Right? You don't miss those moments. But here it's like, you know, Yonatan was friends with David. Like, you could miss it. You could miss it. We can't. This is a Mashiach moment that's happening right here. 
right? And we're meant to learn from this moment, right? How, I mean, the greatness of Yonatan, right? That's the question. Will there be Yonatan Jews in our time? Meaning Jews of, of the world of Tel Aviv who will be able to see what's happening and with great humility, right? Work together with, if not necessarily in the leading role, but okay, number two ain't bad, right? <laughs> it's not so bad, right? This is, we talked about this already months ago, but the whole, you know, Harry, right? Prince Harry, Lo'alenu, right? That's the tragedy, right? Because he could do so much with his life, but he spends his whole life broken and ruining his family, right? Over the fact that he's not number one. And not easy. We see it all the time, right? And, and the Gemara above Matthias just go through, it says very quickly, just that this is, right? You know, you talk about three, there's Shlosha and Vatnin Hain, right? There are three humble people and great humble people in history. It doesn't mention Moshe, okay. But he says, he says, Rebbe, it's my father, but he doesn't get into it, right? B'nai B'teira. The B'nai B'teira were the ones who said that, that Hillel should be in charge, right? Not us. Pretty amazing. And then who's number three, the greatest of all, when Yonatan says to David that you will be king over all of Israel and I'll be your number two, right? Just so we don't miss the significance of that moment. But now let's shift, okay? Because it's, as usual, running out of time. So number 15, we find that David is unbelievably popular, not with Shaul, but with everybody else, right? Wherever he, everybody loves him. Everybody loves David um, because he went out and he fought and he became the great general. It's not just Yonatan, but the entire nation. So why was he so popular? So a very simple answer is war hero. But I'll bring you a proof that war hero does not guarantee popularity. Churchill, right? Anybody knows history? Right after World War II, he just saved the free world, right? Yeah, they kick him out for some stupid socialist, right? Who destroys the country, right? It's unbelievable. Churchill gets kicked out right after he wins the war, right? It's unbelievable, right? That doesn't last, right? So there's got to be more to it, to David's popularity, than just being a war hero. So... I think the answer is, isn't it? and this is, it partially explains you know, why Yonatan and David became so close, is because like Yonatan, David was also unbelievably humble. Right? He makes himself into a shaliach of Shaul. Right? We find the way he talks. Number 16. Who am I? What's my family? Right? It's funny, because like one day his family will be the greatest family in all of Israel, but for now, right? Who am I to be the son-in-law of King Shaul? We'll get to it, right? So, you know, like, he, he, con- he considers himself, um, you know, this, and he also says, He's like a shaliach of Shaul, right? Like, think, imagine like a, like a hardcore Chabadnik, the shaliach of the Rebbe. I'll do whatever the Rebbe wants me to do, right? That's David. Unbelievable. Shaul treats him like garbage. He's the hero, and I'm happy to be your shaliach. That's all I am. I'm a humble nobody. I mean, it's amazing, right, to have that. It's not a natural emotional response. I'm sure we can come up with endless examples throughout history of the general, the war hero general, who becomes incredibly full of himself, right, probably 99.9%. Um, but, th- but this is why people love David so much, I believe, right, because we know when you meet people like this who are really genuine, genuinely humble, even though they're amazing, what do they have, right? Genu- amazing people plus awesome, real, authentic humility equals chain, right? You talk about people with chain that people love, right? right? I mean, like, you just, like, you want to be with those people. You just want to spend time with those, be around those people. That's what David was, right? He was the, he was the opposite of an insufferable war hero, right? He was, he was just amazing. Right? Everybody wanted to be with him. So he's loved by everybody except Shaul. Right? And it says, it says, number 18, The first thing we see is that Shaul makes him stay in the palace with him. Why? What's this? Why is he doing that to him? So it says the Alshech, Because Shaul is afraid that David will end up becoming king. He doesn't want to let him out of his sight to go back to his father's house. Because he'll be, go off on his own, people will surround him, and he'll make his own malchus, and he'll destroy mine. From the very beginning, Shaul is nervous, 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 nervous about David. Now, we find in the next, next page, right, number 20, 
So when David returns from, the, from slaughtering the plishtim, this is after Goliath, right? What happens? All the women come out. So the women come out to dance for them. Right? To, to, to greet King Shaul. Right? Joy, instruments, the whole thing. So they started like, it's almost like a poem they kept saying over and over again. They said, Shaul has killed with his thousands, and David is ten thousands. Now, shocking, the next Pasuk, Shaul, the Shaul Ma'ot. Shaul gets very insulted. Who's the king around here? Alright, This is the end for David. Before he was nervous, now, now he's toast, right? Now he now he already, now it's explicit. He was humiliated. How could they sing that? So how could they sing that? So this is amazing. The Malbum, I thought, was unbelievable. The Malbum says that, that Shaul completely misread, misunderstood what the women were saying. He goes, first of all, they were not coming to insult Shaul. They would never talk to the king that way. If you look at the Pasuk before, it says they came out to dance, not to greet David, Likrat Shaul HaMelech. They came out to honor Shaul. And what were they saying? Says the, I won't read it inside, but you can. The Malbum says that he killed with his just a few thousand. They were complimenting Shaul over David. Shaul only needed a few thousand people to kill the enemy. David needed tens of thousands. Mm. Who, right? So Shaul, now, that's what, that, that's what they meant, to compliment Shaul. But Shaul takes it the wrong way. And what happens? And look at number at the, the Pasuk Tet. By he Shaul, it says, Oyein et David. That's how, what, that's how we pronounce it. But what does it say? The written word? Like avon, right? That Oyein is that he, you know, he started eyeing David from that day on. But the, the, the hidden meaning is eyeing him with, uh, through the lens of, you've wronged me, of sin. You've done something terrible to me, right? Amazing, right? I mean, w- the psychology here is unbelievable. Probably, why did he misread and misunderstand what the women said in the first place? Well, the women shouldn't have said it either way because it's not nice to David and Melchizedek. Yes, no and what, perhaps not. yes and no, meaning who's David? He's, he's the general. He's the general. But Shaul is our king, right? Yeah, okay, it may be right. It's a good, interesting point. But that's what they meant. Why did he misinterpret? Already because he was getting nervous about, about David, right? And now, right, from this point on, once he mishears this and misinterprets it, now he really can't stand David. And now it's, it's like one terrible thing leads to another. It's only going to get worse and worse. Everything that David does is now going to be seen through this lens of jealousy and hatred, right? That, and, and he's going to be righteous jealousy because he's going to say, this guy is trying to rip my kingdom away from me, right? The psychology of how one thing leads to another, how hatred forms between people who should be good friends, Right? What are the lessons here you know, for our time and, and the communities? And how does this happen? Right? And who's at fault? Right? These are, right, we have sometimes have to look at our, each of, everybody has to look at themselves. And it's really, really fascinating here, right? the psychology of it. I just, I just thought this teaching from the, the, the Malbim was amazing. I never, uh, I never would have thought of that. In Hebrew, to say he killed with his thousands, he killed his thousands, it would have said Shaul, Hikah uh, Hashul et Ba'alafab, right? So without that et, that's what's right. Hikasha ul et alafav would have been you, you kill your thousands. Thousand. Thousand. Without the et, that's Be what's alafav that you killed with thousands. David needs tens of thousands, mm-hmm. but you need only thousands. Be alafav, right? That's how the I, I so that's how the album understands it, which I think is fascinating, right? I mean, just really, really fascinating. So it leads one thing leads to the next, and all of a sudden, number twenty, you know, skip at skip to twenty five. We talked about this with Shaul, his, the evil spirit that comes upon him. Right? And he is having prophecy in the house? What's going on? And then, and David is, is playing music, right, with his harp. And then, and then, and Shaul holding his spear, as we talked about, he's always holding his spear like a manly man, right? And he says, you know, and he, and he throws it at him. He throws a spear. So what's going on? He's having prophecy and he immediately goes into a rage and throws a spear? That doesn't sound like prophecy to me. Right? What's going on here? So it's like hard to understand. So Barbanel, amazing. Barbanel says 26, that Hamit Nabe is very different than a Navi. A Navi is a prophet. 
Shaul is not a prophet anymore. Shaul is mitnabe. He says mitnabe is hamechin atzmo, somebody who's preparing themselves, mishtadel, trying ladata atidot mitbodedaleim, who's trying to know the future. Right? You can imagine how in a terrible place that is. You're trying to be a prophet and it's not working. You're trying to know the future, right? It's like you're going to a palm reader, as we find later what happens to Shaul, bringing up the Shmuel from the dead, right? He's not a Navi, he's mitnabe. And when you're trying to figure out the future and you can't, right, you're overwhelmed by, right, classic psychology 101, horrible anxiety, right? It tears you apart. Right? This is, you know, when the more we're anxious and want to know the future and can't accept the fact that we can't know the future, right, the more anxious we become. Right? The more we try to control but can't. That's the case where, that's where Shaul is now. And so he's trying and can't and, 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 and rip, you know, brings himself into a disastrous, disastrous <coughs> thing. Very, very painful. Um, and what's amazing is that his anger towards David comes out, and this is not just the, the only time. It happens again that he throws spears at him. Um, it comes out not when he's out on the battlefield with David, but when David is playing his, you know, his harp. Like, now you want to kill the guy? So where does that come from? So I think it comes from, right, also psychology. This is all psychology. It's dependence. Because remember we talked about who's the only one who could get Shaul out of his terrible state? It's David. So the guy who's ruining Shaul's life is also the only guy who can bring him out of his horrible state of misery, right? When he gets into these terrible funks, right? And, and, and this ruach, ra'ah, depression, the only one who can get him out of it is the guy that he can't stand, that he's jealous of, right? Can you imagine, right? Like the misery of, of Shaul HaMelech, it's awful. It's terrible, right? I mean, it's really, really something. And, and, and then it says, Vayira Sha'ul milifnei David, that Shaul is afraid of David. I don't understand. Who should be afraid here? Right? A spear just came at David's head, right? And Shaul is afraid of David. What's going on? He's got all the soldiers with him. He's the king. So how do we understand that? Right? So it's Vasher Ra'ak Yaya Hashem Imo, says the Malbim 27. Right? Because he saw that Hashem was with him. And right, what, is it, what does that mean? He was right there. He's a warrior. And he and he missed him with the spear. Clearly, God is protecting David. And he feels helpless. I have the spear. He's sitting there, like, you know, totally playing, you know, focused on playing his harp, and I still can't kill him? I'm toast, right? The fear that, that Shaul had from all of that. And so it, it, it's, it's really, really something, right? He sends him, right? Hashem li lo ira ma adam from Tehillim, right? David says, you know, the Hashem is with me. I will not fear. What can man do to me, right? What can man do to me? Is everybody okay if we take a couple more minutes? Is that all right? I want to be uh, sensitive. Tomorrow. Except for Marv. So this is sort of like an addendum. So if you need to go to Marv, go to Marv. It's all good. And we'll catch up. It's not, not a big deal. I just, uh, if, I, if I don't finish it now, mm-hmm. you know, the next week is off. Everything's off. So I, I apologize. Um, but I, I just wanted to touch for a few moments on the strange story of Shaul's daughters. Because in, in, we find in, in the 29 here, I have all the psukim, where Shaul decides, oh, now I'm going to give Meirav, my oldest daughter, to David as a, as a wife, right? I just tried to kill him with a spear. I hate his guts. I'm afraid of him, so let me give him my daughter. But that was his reward. For so that was the reward, right? So that was the reward. But it seems, right, that David was not calling him on it. Shaul, though, said, I'm going to do it, right? But then it says that it came to pass that when Meirav should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel HaMecholati. Huh? What in the world is that? Right? And then we're not given no explanation. Then the next pasuk, we're told that Michal loves David. And by the way, the only time in the entire Tanakh that we are told that a woman loves a man. Right? That's a famous one. Unbelievable. Right? We're told many times that men love women. Right? The love that she had for David must have been really something. Right? So also unusual. So then Shaul says, oh, great idea. It pleases him. I'll give him, you know, I'll give her to, to, to David. Right? You know, and then she'll be like a snare for him. And the hand of the flesh will be against him. So what does this mean? He comes up with the whole plan. You can marry Michal, but first you got to bring me a hundred plishti foreskins. Holy moly, right? So David's like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> right? And then he goes and he gets 200 foreskins. 200 foreskins, Right? 
what in the, right? What's going on here? Right? What is going on here? Right? It's, it's, and it, and it also, it's, it's very strange because it never says anything about David and how he feels about Michal. Over and over again, it says that David likes this idea, to be the king's son-in-law. That sounds like a bad situation to me. You know, like, oh, I'm going to marry her because her father is awesome, right? Like, that's a bad marriage, right? You don't want to go in that direction in modern times. I mean, that's what they used to do. But, but it says several times, it never says anything about David and Michal. Right? Then it tells us again in the, in the next passage right, that Michal Bachaul Ahivasu, that Michal loved David. Again, how much she loved David. What in the world is going on here? Right? So, so we can understand this in a lot of ways, right? Maybe Shaul is a, is a hafach pach, right? He's like one of these, uh, on the one hand, he's depressed and jealous and hates David one minute, and the next minute he's like, you know what? He's not such a bad guy, right? That's one way to look at him. There are people in the world like this, right? We're often, we can, ourselves can be like this. Another way of looking at this is that if you can't beat him, join him, right? Okay, if this guy's going to be king, well then, better, uh, better, better he should be my son-in-law than, than he not, right? Let it be sort of with my family, right? Also, it's, it doesn't say vayitav hadavar be'inav, that it was good in Shaul's side. It says vayishar hadavar be'inav, meaning this is the right decision, calculating this is the right decision, not that it was so, made him so happy. He still doesn't like David, but he's like, this is a wise move. Um, you know, really, really fascinating. That, but then there's a whole other approach here, which is that really this is as, you know, I think this is maybe the pshat because he says that it'll be a snare. What does he do? Right? Oh, I'll send David to go, to go get a hundred foreskins, right? Like, what's going on? What is, that, what is that about? Right? So is it shocking that David comes back with 200? Right? And that he doesn't get killed by the plishtim? I don't think so. Because Shaul knows that this guy is unbelievable. He keeps killing plishtim everywhere. So what does he think? I'm going to go kill him to kill 100 more? That, it's going to, that this is going to get him? So says the Malbim, I thought this was brilliant, that it's not like, because he tells I'll read it out to just basically say it outside. Had he told David, just go kill 100, that would have been no big deal. He's done that before. Here, by doing something cruel and unusual, forcing David to do that, it made the entire Plishti army and nation hate David. Meaning, okay, if he's just David, kill some of their men. Okay, they respect him. They don't like him, they respect him. Now that David is coming and cutting off foreskins, right? They don't know that Shaul said to do that. David becomes public enemy number one among the Plishti. This sicko, horrible guy. He's humiliating our, even he kills our people and then he, and then he does this to them, Right? brilliant on Shaul's part. It doesn't really work, but, but it's a brilliant idea to make David the most hated man and which will hopefully eventually cause him to be killed. Like it, this whole thing, may Rav marry somebody else? There's so much going on here, right? It could be that, that she saw that her sister was in love with David in a very intense way. Hard to know exactly what's going on. But because of the hours later, I'll just to highlight one last point, which I think is fascinating. What story does all of this remind you of? Hana and oh, Hana and Panina, you mean, or Rachel? No, that she saw her sister-in-law. That's Very good, right? Think about what's going on here, right? Just the connections, the parallels between the story of David and Michal and Yaakov and Rachel. It's the same character structure. You have a father-in-law, son-in-law, Shaul, right, and Lavan, um, and then you have these two sisters and the guy, right, David and, and Yaakov. You have the substituting one daughter for another, right? Rachel is substituted with Leah. You have a son-in-law who's paying double for his wife. Yaakov was supposed to work for seven years. He ends up work, gets tricked and works for 14. Dove is supposed to bring 100 foreskins. He brings 200, right? The same, there's a same language here. So a lot of the similar words that are used. You can look at it yourself. That's uh, 33 and 34, we, just because it's late. Uh, daughters, we find daughters siding with their husband. Right, Rachel and Leah go with go with Yaakov. Michal goes with David. She saves him, as we'll talk about. Right, we'll get to that. But she saves his life, ultimately. Um, and they and they both use terafim in the escape. Right, the terafim that Rachel uses, right, steals from Lavan, and the tra, and the terafim, this like whatever we'll talk about this in the, in the future here, where where she uses that to save David. As we'll talk about. I mean, it's so clear that these stories are meant to be compared. Right? And yet, what are the differences? We find that Michal loves David, but who loves, in the other story, it's Yaakov loves 
Rachel. But what, it's a difference, and yet there's a similarity because in both cases, the love is unbalanced. Yaakov loves Rachel more than Rachel loves Yaakov, right? And we know that she cares more about having children than she cares, right? And the fighting and so on. And clearly, Michal loves David more than David loves, loves Michal, right? It's a one-sided love, which is a very painful thing. So what's the, what's the meaning of all of this, right? The parallel between the stories, right? Obviously, the, the comparison for Shaul is not good, right? Shaul and Lavan, you don't want to be Lavan, right? That's not who you want to be as a father-in-law. Like, note to self, you know, don't be, don't be Lavan, right? Don't be Lavan, right? If you have daughters, you know, you want to be a different kind of father-in-law. Um, doesn't mean you can't have the, 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 the conversation where you threaten to kill him if he hurts your daughter. I think that's like natural for all fathers-in-law, right? I would assume. But after that, you know, you don't want to be love on. He's looking at you. I've been talking to my brother just, thank God, married off one daughter and the other one just got engaged, you know? And he's like having these awkward conversations, you know, where they ask permission with both of the sons. <laughs> it's like amazing. I just, uh, just incredible. My brother's like, you know what? He goes, this is hard for you. This is hard for me. Let's just, uh, let's just try to make this as painless as possible, this conversation. Um, but I think also what we find here is that unbalanced love is going to lead to pain. Um, and there's a lot of foreshadowing here that, you know, the, the relationship between David, the members of Shaul's family is very <coughs> complex. What happens with David and Michal, we know, ends very sadly. And their relationship does not go in a great direction. Um, on the other hand, we have this David, Yonatan, Mashiach love, right? All within the family. Shaul, it's all Shaul and his kids. And, and the incredible complexity and different kinds of relationships that David has with all three of them, right, tells us, right, the diff, right, it shows us the complexity that we have. Let's say we, the community of David, let's just use that as our example, with the community of Shaul, right, the community of Tel Aviv, and how you can have many different kinds of relationships with people with that world of Tel Aviv. Right? We want it to be, God willing, you know, to be like the love of David and Yonatan. We should merit and, and see that, God willing. Um, but we're, it's going to take a lot of work to get there, as we see over the coming chapters with David and, and Shaul's family. So God willing, we'll be able to, to find this, uh, to, to, to be married like David and Michal, but it should end in happiness. And, and Yonatan should, should live and not should die. We should only see good things between all of our communities. Next time.